The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. Today's buzz, onward. That's right, onward. Let's get started. Take a good look around your finance office and your accounting offices. Just stand there for a minute and take a look. Does it feel like your finance team is on the cutting edge of innovation? They're excited about what they're doing. They're leading the charge. They're helping to add strategic value to the business. What you're saying? What, Bonnie? Are you serious? Well, I hope you're not saying that. In case you are, perhaps this is the view you see. You see endless piles of paperwork. What do you hear? Grumblings about deadlines and information requests and overload and typical back office headaches. OMG. Well, if it's the latter, and it very likely may be, it's time to learn how to leverage data, benchmarking and metrics to modernize your finance function. That's right. It's time to modernize what you see. Get out of those doldrums. Get out of the mire and the muck, I might say. But big question, where and how do you start? It is a big task. We have a wonderful panel of smart experts today who are going to help you figure it all out. First up on the panel, I'm pleased to welcome Eric Merrill. He's a senior manager with Deloitte Consulting's strategy and operations finance practice. He focuses on corporate and business unit forecasting, planning, and analytics. That's why he's here. And Eric has sent me a very interesting quote from Deepak Chopra. Let me just tell you who Chopra is in case you don't know. An Indian-born American author and public speaker. He was described by the New York Times as a controversial New Age guru, but Chopra has said for 30 years he's been rejecting the title of guru. He's also one of the best known and wealthiest figures in the holistic health movement. Here's the quote. All great changes are preceded by chaos. Ooh, that's so profound. Eric Merrill, welcome. How are you today? Hi, Bonnie. I'm well. How are you? I'm well. I love the quote. It just seems like it's so even bigger than our topic today. But since we're on financial excellence, why don't we apply it to the question of modernizing the finance office? Go ahead, Eric. Tell us a little more. Absolutely. Thank you. So I think, um, to your point, this is potentially a much bigger, grander quote. But in today's context, it's extremely relevant for companies who are looking to take advantage of some of the things that you mentioned, trying to move towards those new innovations, those new ways of doing things, and sometimes not having the fortitude or the stomach to really realize that it's not always a linear path, Um, especially with the pace of change going on in the broader industry and industries. uh, Sometimes it's more being able to accept the journey and to understand that there will be puts and takes and detours along the path, Uh, and that that is all absolutely necessary to really achieve true transformational change. And I think it speaks to how it's more how you react 
and how you lead through those unexpected turns and twists that defines the likelihood for your success to achieve that greatness. And that, to me, is why that quote around being able to understand that any great change or great achievement is going to be preceded by a degree of chaos, if not a lot of it, is extremely important for companies to, uh, to understand. Eric, I appreciate that. I have a question for you. Do finance and accounting and CFO, that ilk, that type of person, do they have the personality to stomach chaos? Or I'm thinking of the old green eye shade, the little green lamp, the back office, the spreadsheet, the safe days when it was rows and columns and headers. I don't know. Calculators. I know that's supposed to be long gone. Do they have the, the fortitude to get through and understand and climb out the other side positively of the chaos, Eric? I think, I think what you find today is that as the role of CFOs and, and chief accounting officers are evolving to be more involved in the strategy and the overall operations day-to-day, um, that the individuals moving into those roles are absolutely uh, starting to position themselves in that way, to have those characteristics, to think beyond uh, you know, the lampshade, as you mentioned. I'm sorry about that. It just comes to mind. Thank you. Good answer. And and we will cover that later in the show, Eric. Let's be sure to have a footnote or get that into the roundtable conversation about who is at the helm, who are peopling, manning, womaning the, the desks and, and the places where accounting and finance are coming into the light and realizing that they need to be more than just the keepers of the reports, which is a topic we cover frequently here on Financial Excellence. Thank you, Eric. Pleasure to speak with you. And let's bring on our second panelist. It's Mark Richards. He's the VP of Finance and Operations for RBA Consulting. And I think this is a Mark Richards original. He says, financials are like the punchline to a joke and the setup is in the operations. I don't know whether to laugh or smile because of my background in stand-up comedy, but I love the quote and I think it could make you very famous. Mark Richards, welcome. How are you today? Very well, very well. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. Talk to me. So I would say that quote. I would say that quote actually came from um, a comment I got made from a CEO that I worked for um, early on in my career. Actually, was very um, fundamental to how I approached my finance background. He actually said, "I had answered a question once, and he said, you know, um, you're a smart guy, but you're not that smart.'" And I said, "Okay, I'll bite." And he said, "Well, the problem with finance people is." Um, you have 100% of the information after the fact. He said, if you could make that same comment to me or the same answer when you have 25% of the information like operators do, he said, then your financial counsel to me will be uh, relevant. And so shortly after he made that comment to me, he actually kicked me out and uh, from the corporate group into one of the operating groups um, and told me, now get out there and learn. And so since then, I've had the opportunity, very fortunately, to spend a lot of time in the field. And I said, as I put in my bio, I've traveled to, I think, like 15 or 16 company, countries now in about 140 cities, all to do work with our sales teams, operations team, account management team. And, you know, what it's really taught me is that when finance wasn't working, it was often time, often because finance wasn't aligned with what the business was doing. And so... It was really all about catching up finance. And so as we talk about, you know, can you lead the charge, I think it becomes, do you understand where the charge is supposed, you know, where you need to be directed and where you need to go? And so that's really where that, um, you know, statement came from. And it's what I've done with, you know, kind of used for my teams as we've gone forward. And, you know, the other mantra I like to use is, you know, less, uh, more information than less data, which is also just a reflection of, 
the better you understand what the business is, the better you're able to hone into what information they actually need from the operators. Thank you, Mark. Great comments and great perspective. I'm going to ask you to comment on the quote provided to us by Eric Merrill uh, from Deepak Chopra. All great changes are preceded by chaos. Do you agree that the people who are now filling the roles in finance and accounting, people like you and your teams, can stomach the chaos and understand it and cope with it? You know, it's a cultural change. I think one of the things that you'll find in particular now as you look at the changes that the financial systems are offering and ability for people to do their own work, it's providing, in my opinion, a opportunity for finance to rethink how we approach our work. And so I agree 100% that it, it feels a lot like chaos, but I do think it offers the change, uh, the chance for people to look at how they're working with their peers, um, you know, and not being, you know, not thinking so much about uh, owning the data, but making access to data greater um, and, you know, really thinking about how we approach our analysis. It's not just for the analysts anymore, that it's people that are in accounting, that in traditional accounting roles can do the analysis. Mm-hmm. So um, I agree 100%. And I do think they can make the turn. Just takes a little bit change of how we approach our day-to-day. Maybe need to change their breakfast cereal. We'll talk about that later. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure to meet you. Appreciate that. I'm I'm thinking maybe from cornflakes to Wheaties. I don't know. We'll talk about that. And welcoming to the panel our third person today, it's Dan Fagan. He's a member of SAP America's Industry Value Engineering Team, IVE, to those of you in the know. Dan has sent me a very complex quote because two people are quoted in his quote, uh, and we're going to link them together. So first part up is uh, something Vince Lombardi said. Those of you remembering or not, he was an American football player, coach, and executive best known as head coach of the Green Bay Packers in the 60s. He led the team to three straight and five total National Football League championships in seven years, and the Super Bowl trophy is named in his honor, and he was installed in the Pro Football Hall of Fame enshrined, they say, in 1971. Here's the first part. He says, if you're not keeping score... You're just practicing. Now, let's leave that one alone. And then Dan has added a quote from Kate Costa. I had to look her up. And let me tell you who she is. Uh, let's see. She was honored by Fit Small Business, named as her new blog, New Venture Mentor, named one of the best entrepreneur entrepreneurship blogs of 2015 with people like Richard Branson and Paul Graham. So she's right up there. She's had every possible career stop and start. Very interesting young lady. And here's her version of the quote. There are no participation trophies in business. So let me restate those together so you can follow me. If you're not keeping score, you're just practicing, and there are no participation trophies in business. Dan Fagan, you're making me work very hard here. How are you? I'm good, Bonnie. Thank you. Thank you. Interesting. How did you put those two together, and how did you find Kate Costa? I had never heard of her until I saw her in your list here. Oh, good, good questions. The, uh, the first quote, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that's really something that when you're talking about benchmarking, you, you can't go without saying, you know, if you're not, if you're not keeping score, you're just practicing. I mean, that's something that we've kind of said around benchmarking for many years. Um, and then I thought about it and said, well, you know, folks are keeping score, or are they not, right? And I think a lot of this came from perhaps my uh, my recently warped uh, sense of nine-year-old softball, <laughs> right? So uh, being at many tournaments with my daughter and uh, and seeing many happy little girls coming off the field, all of them with medals, right, or trophies. And, and in many cases, dancing, you know, having lost maybe by 10 runs, but still very happy. Mm-hmm. But, well, you know, the score really doesn't mean 
much at certain ages or in certain forums, right? But certainly keeping score is very important when it comes to business. Uh, so that's kind of how I linked to me up. Now, how I found uh, Kate Costa was that I had hoped I made up that quote, right? There are no participants trophies in business. So I said, wow, mm-hmm. I think I made that up, right? So uh, apparently not. So I Googled it, and then Kate <laughs> came up, and I said, wow, Kate, she's like a very smart woman here, uh, coming up with this quote. So that's how they, uh, they came to be and came together. But I, I kind of wasn't happy with just the Vince Lombardi, you know, if you're not keeping score, then what? I think it's got to be a lot more pressing than that, right? And it's got to be the, the urgency around that you can't just show up as a finance organization. Just showing up and, and you know, keeping your books is not, is not good enough anymore, uh, especially with the things that, you know, hopefully we'll talk about today with the digital economy and the acceleration of, of data and hyper-connectivity. Uh, it's really something that you've got to go beyond you're just showing up or just participating. And with the the measurement aspect of it, you know, if, if you're not measuring it, it's, it's kind of like going on a diet, right? Going on a diet without a scale in your house. So, you know, you can diet all you want. You can look in the mirror and say to yourself, you look really great, right? But if you're not comparing it and you're not measuring it against your internal and external goals, uh, then you're really not being as effective as possible. So I think not just keeping score, but, but comparing to the outside world, to internal performance goals, uh, and I don't mean comparing to that, that god-awful you know, weight-height chart you see in the doctor's office where apparently <laughs> I've got to be about seven or eight feet tall to be of normal weight. <laughs> I didn't know they still had those. I was going to say to you there is a substitute for the measure by progress measure by scale. It's called can I really still fit into that size eight pair of pants. That's the, that's the true measure or whatever size you used to wear before you realized you needed to go on a diet. That's the private reality check. Thank, thank you for indulging my question, Dan. I'm, I'm very intrigued. And by the way, the first thing that Kate Costa, and anybody looking for Kate, it's C-A-T-E, Costa, C-O-S-T-A. The first thing on her website says, so who the heck am I and why should, why would you care what I have to say? I love that. Such a reality mm-hmm. check and a lot, a lot more interesting. Thanks for introducing me to her. Good quotes and, and I appreciate the, uh, the quest to link the quotes, take what used to be and, and going forward. Part, no participation trophies in business. Very interesting. We will relate that to our topic many times today in the conversation, Dan. I'm going to circle back to Eric Merrill, who's had just a few, ch- a few minutes here to to rest up before I ask him the most difficult question of the day. Eric, I hope you're ready, and I'm going to ask you what's in your cup today. What are you drinking right now? What do you wish you were drinking? Because Financial Excellence with Game Changers is part of our bigger flagship series called Coffee Break with Game Changers, and I'm really curious to know what people are drinking because they only let me have water on show days. So, Eric Merrill, amuse me, in- inspire me, whatever you want to do. What are you drinking or what are you thinking about? Well, hopefully I won't disappoint on a Monday after a holiday weekend. So I've, uh, I've probably done my, my, uh, my limit on coffee this morning. So I have a, a caffeine-free cinnamon hibiscus tea, um, as well as a very brown-colored smoothie, which I think is my lunch. So uh, double fisting here this morning or afternoon, depending <laughs> on what time zone you're in. And uh, trying to detox a little from the holiday weekend, I think, is probably the best way to describe it. So that was a happy fourth and a sparkling fifth. Don't answer that. You don't have to answer that. What was the? T- what was that's my that's my favorite greeting. What was the the tea again? I want to write this down. It was a caffeine free caffeine free hibiscus yes. cinnamon, and it's it's really great for uh, you know kind of anti-inflammatory and just kind of uh, getting you a little uh, cleaned up without too jittery after uh, after a lot of coffee or a long weekend or both. Sound like somebody who knows what they're talking about. Is there a brand name that goes with this? 
I believe it's a, uh, a Kroger special. I think it's their private selection, to be honest. All right. I'm going to tweet this later. Thank you very much. You're always at risk when you tell me what you're drinking. You know that. So, yes, we sure. might have to make this famous. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Mark Richards, what are you drinking or what are you thinking about drinking after the show? So one of the benefits of working for a small little company is um, we are part of an ownership of a building that we're in. And so we actually, from our boardroom, have connected a stairway to the rooftop bar next door. And so even though I'm drinking water now, as I look out my window, I can see the rooftop bar as we sit here. So um, it's noon in Minnesota, so which is a good thing. But um, <laughs> I'll have to wait to the end of the day. And to, when uh, you get to that rooftop bar, what can we ask what you're going to order? Oh, sure. Uh, we, we actually uh, favor here what's called a Founding Fathers, which is a great little beer. It's like, I, mean, I think it's made out of Pennsylvania, but it's, it, they, after every beer, they give uh, money to help veterans that have come back. So we've kind of taken that under our wing as a beer of choice here. At a, oh, uh, very at nice. Bar next door. Yep. So it's called Founding Fathers. I will look that up. Thank you very much. So that's a beer with a social conscience, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that is. a lot. Yeah, I guess it is. Okay. We'll make that famous. Thank you very, very much, Mark. And Dan Fagan, no pressure. Those were two very interesting stories, but whatever you're drinking is fine with us. What is in your cup or what are you thinking about? Oh, it's a good segue there. I like the, the bar segue and then to Dan Fagan, so it works well. <laughs> So I, I, you know, I think being married and having four kids, and I don't really drink anything exciting anymore. So I thought I'd go back <laughs> and tell you what I drank that was pretty exciting back in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, so you know, the story is it's basically Christmas Eve dinner, right? And we're at my in-laws; all the cousins are there. And I'm not sure if anyone has heard of a mind eraser, but I learned what that was that night. Uh, apparently, it's and I googled this: one part Kahlua, one part vodka, and one part club soda. And according to my father-in-law. You drink it at the same time out of one huge fishbowl-like glass in the middle of the table with a straw, and you drink it as quickly as possible. So we basically didn't have a choice in the matter here. So we, we about six of us, gathered around, you know, all facing each other head-to-head around this, and we drank it as quickly as possible. And it was actually pretty good, a pretty good experience. I don't think anyone's mind was erased after that. So we, we had another round, uh, and that went quite well as well. Uh, but then, you know, everyone, this, this team-building exercise all of a sudden got a little ugly, right, with rumors that my wife's cousin Michael was not doing his part to empty the mind eraser bowl as quickly as he could through his straw. So there was major denial of that, and, of course, Michael said, no, 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 I'm definitely, you know, drinking like everyone else is. So I said, fine. So we quietly made a plan that the next round we would all pretend to drink, <laughs> and Michael would finish up the mind eraser. And so that's exactly what happened. And I guess the, the folks at, at the church are still talking about how Michael sang so well that night at, at Midnight Mass. So that was my story that was in my book about 20 years ago. <laughs> Thank you. And I just Googled Mind Eraser while you were speaking, and there is a, a drink on, uh, a recipe on drinks, that's plural, drinksmixer.com. Okay. There's one on cocktails about dot cocktails.about.com there's one on food.com slash recipe slash mind dash eraser there's one on cocktail overhaul uh, drinks.serious eats there's one on cocktails.love to know.com and wow. there's even one on YouTube and on the Kahlua.com site anybody can't remember how that goes it's k-a-h-l-u-a.com use your head forget the standard mix pour and drink really cool thing came out of the 80s giant cell 
cell phones, massive perms, guilty pleasure music, and the mind eraser. Thank you for that flashback to the past. I really appreciate it. I I wasn't drinking too much in the 80s and 90s, but I certainly might have to catch up. Thank you very much, Dan. We have a very lively group here, don't we? I'm speaking today with Eric Merrill at Deloitte Consulting, with Mark Richards at RBA Consulting, and Dan Fagan at SAP's Industry Value Engineering IVE team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We do have a very serious topic, modernizing your finance organization, metrics and benchmarking. If your office is full of piles of paper and grumbling, it's time to modernize. Come into the light. You have the people who are ready and can stand the chaos, per our quote from Deepak Chopra, courtesy of Eric Merrill. We're going to see if we can help you figure out exactly how to get it done. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. I'm just going to say to our engineer, Michael, out. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. SAP Simple Finance, powered by SAP, is a part of SAP 4HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP Simple Finance draws upon innovative in-memory, mobile, and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more at www.sap.com forward slash simple dash finance. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. Here we are. Very important topic today, modernizing your finance organization. I don't care where you are in the world, what kind of company you have, you must have a finance organization, big, medium, or small, and they may be stuck in old-fashioned ways of doing business and in chaos. Well, they need to get through the chaos to get to the light, and we're talking today about metrics and benchmarking with Eric Merrill at Deloitte Consulting, Mark Richards at RBA Consulting. We'll find a little more about his company when we come back to him in the roundtable, and Dan Fagan at SAP's IVE Industry Value Engineering Team. Eric Merrill has graciously agreed to start the roundtable with me. And Eric, I'm looking at your notes. I'm going to read two statements, and you can take it where you want to go. First of all, you say, rethinking and positioning finance to be a data-driven organization is very important. And you also say it's time to shift from historical reporting to forward-looking predictive analytics. So I'm going to tie those two together. Why don't you get us started, Eric Merrill? Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. I mm-hmm. think both those statements kind of go hand-in-hand, hand, so it makes sense to talk about them together. Um, we touched on this earlier in the opening about the role um, of finance leadership in terms of the CFO, the CAO, uh, moving beyond what was historically uh, accounting-driven type responsibilities. And I think as the information available to organizations today with the move towards big and bigger data and social, um, 
social network information and other types of data that previously has not really been available before or been used extensively in any sort of decision support um, type of activity is now very prevalent and very necessary. And so as finance moves you know, from uh, handling the blocking and tackling around the accounting side of things and more into decision support, decision analytics, um, that is where they're really shifting towards being more of a data-driven organization. And the breadth of that data that's available to them is really opening up a world of possibilities for finance to truly partner with the rest of the organization and provide some strategic decision support. Now, the next evolution of that is to additionally not just look at historically what has happened in the past, what were the results that came in, but increasing accuracy and visibility uh, and predictability, if you will, of what's going to happen next. And that's where we start getting into making the transition from number crunching to strategic decision making and, and generating insight with predictive analytics, which is changing that conversation, changing that uh, the work that finance does to try to roll all the way from the bottom up all of this detailed information from you know, hundreds and hundreds of stakeholders within the business and coming up with better capabilities, better tool sets, uh, better granularity of information to provide better insight and better foresight uh, to help the leaders of the organization make better decisions. And I think that's where I'm seeing the role of finance shift. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity out there based on the breadth and depth of information available if an organization can wrap its arms around how to use it effectively. Um, mm -hmm. Conversely, you can run into challenges around drowning in that sea of data, but I think the upside there, if you can navigate uh, to where you need to be uh, from a future state perspective, is really, really valuable to a lot of organizations. Thank you, Eric. Before I invite your co-panelists, Mark Richards and Dan Fagan, to chime in on this topic, I have a question for you. I mentioned just before the break, we're talking to an audience that is business, they're global, they're any and every size of company, maybe somebody with a gleam in their eye just about to start on their road to entrepreneurship. Now I can pronounce it right, thank goodness. And uh, somebody in a small company and then the, the full scope of SME, small to, smaller end SME to big, and then what I call the big behemoth corporations and the enterprises. So question is, are the smaller businesses, the new companies, are they stuck in any kind of old-fashioned reporting or have they seen the light and they're going to hit the ground running with a very modernized finance organization, the one we're trying to get older businesses to aspire to? Any clues there? Well, I think, I think the opportunities are really widespread. Uh, I think a, a, good, a good way to think about it is you know, there's a lot of conversation mm -hmm. around leading practices and a lot of assumptions that you know, leading practices are only achievable by your, your Fortune 500, 200, or 100. Mm -hmm. um, I would look at that a little differently and say that leading practices are not the same for every organization um, and where you're not necessarily caught up in uh, existing ways of doing things, you have even more flexibility to jump straight to the future. Uh, and there are lots of tools and capabilities out there to help you get a jump start. So I wouldn't constrain it by, you know, size of company or even sophistication of what a company has today. Thank you. Appreciate that. Mark Richards, love to have your thoughts on any or all of the above. Talk to me. Well, I think that Eric is right. I think that there is some great opportunities. The nice thing is, though, it's, you know, finance doesn't have to relearn it on its own, right? Because I think this is what he described is very similar to what's happening like in marketing departments where you look at all the social media and now the Internet of Things providing this massive sort of data that's available that um, <clears throat> you can 
see, learn from the things that they're doing to apply those to now finance. And I think the key becomes that I agree that there are, you can get lost in the sea of data, but I do believe there's, um, you know, one of the benefits of the finance team that they bring to the party is the fact that they are analytical by nature because <clears throat> that's what the, obviously the career path that they've chosen in accounting and finance. So the ability to kind of sift through, you know, an incredible amount of data to create some good information, I think we've got that skill set. So from, you know, I think that's where a lot of my colleagues in the marketing side struggle because they've got the creative side, not the analytical side. So I think we, you know, the, the key for success here is, really coming up with a good strategy around how you're going to manage your data. But, you know, and then where do you need to manage that data? And that's where I, as I started my conversation about understanding the business is as you partner with your, you know, teams on the operations side, really understanding what are they looking for and what is that marriage of operational and financial data that will give them the most value. So from my perspective, if you can you know, figure out how to manage your data, where it's going to be, who's going to own it, <clears throat> and then what are you going to do with all that data? If you can sort those two things out first, it you know, give you, a, I think, a good step getting started. Thank you. Dan Fagan, thoughts? Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> before I, I get into my response to that, I think I want to give a little bit of background on our uh, benchmarking program because I do have some statistics mm-hmm. to share with folks, but I want them to sure. know where they came from. <laughs> Okay. So we've got a uh, business performance benchmarking program at uh, SAP, and we've had it for about 10 years now. And uh, so it's, it's complementary to any organization that wants to participate. Uh, and what that gives us is this incredible database. Right? So we th- we're, we're pretty close to thinking it's the largest uh, business process benchmarking program in the world. Uh, little, little known secret, I think, to, to many. Uh, but it gives us incredible insight, and, and our participating companies have incredible insight into how they're running their business, uh, and you know what they need to do in comparison to best in class. Uh, so I pulled some numbers from that, and I'll try to kind of pepper them in this afternoon. Mm-hmm. But in in the subject of prediction or you know, forward looking, um, it's interesting because we some of our surveys are showing, for example, that uh, a percentage of finance executives rating the capability is very important. It was 83 percent for the ability to forecast that business entity and group level at required level of granularity along all relevant business dimensions. So the vast majority of folks are saying, yes, we need to be able to forecast. We need to be able to handle the data that we have in-house and make it into something that we can start to predict or or plan on for the future. Um, A related metric, we we like to call these sound bites because they're a Mm -hmm. linkage between a best practice an organization would have in place and a high-level maturity on that and a certain KPI performance. So our data is showing us that organizations have 20% lower cycle time for financial forecasts when the financial leadership has access to dashboards that provide a timely daily view of key metrics, like sales information, et cetera. So it's all about access to data, right, timely data. And we, we talk about running your business in real time, but also being able to handle big data and make sense of it quickly right, with a dashboard or a cockpit. And it's interesting because our numbers are starting to prove that out now, that organizations that are starting to get a handle on that, and I think it's a journey. Right? They're starting to get a handle on it or starting to see the benefit then in their, their efficiencies as well as their effectiveness metrics. Thank you, Dan. Good good intro into our, our real topic today, which is metrics and benchmarking. I'm going to circle back to, uh, to Eric Merrill. Any thoughts on some of the statistics that Dan shared with us, Eric? Any insights, comments? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that's, that mm-hmm. mirrors what we've been seeing and hearing as well. And, um, you know, a lot of the 
opportunities and discussions we've been having um, with our client base also uh, tends to center around uh, creating those right those right views or that right understanding of how they're going to make sense of the data they do have um, and make the right decisions based off of it. So absolutely agree. Thank you. Mark Richards, any thoughts on this before I turn to some of your notes and your talking points? Talk to me. Um, I, <clears throat> the piece that... Um, mentioned I think is really interesting is around the the dashboarding and the ability to um, you know take the data out again that again I didn't mention that before but again I think that is a really critical element and I think the design of that is also is critical and that's where I think as a finance person that's I think reaching out to you know um, people that have developed those dashboards before and have worked at those I think is a real important step as you move forward just because, again, trying to understand what the operators want to see, how they want to see it, when they want to see it will make a big difference in the effectiveness both in terms of what you produce for them but even for yourself as a finance uh, user. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Dan, I think you wanted to give a link for people to get this complimentary benchmarking. I didn't hear you give it. You want to share it with us now before I move into Mark's talks? Sure, it's available at valuemanagement.sap.com. So all one word, okay. valuemanagement.sap.com. Thank uh, you. you I'm register. going. Yep, go yep. ahead and go there. You can self-register. It's all strictly confidential. We've got a whole team and uh, with an SAP that's kind of firewalled off, if you will, from the rest, so it's not, uh, it's not linked to any of our solutions. And, again, it's something we do for, uh, for our customers as well as non-customers to help them improve their their business, um, and it's, uh, it's a very valuable service, I think, as you take a look at it. You'll see that it, it compares uh, right up there with those that you might pay uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to participate in. Thank you, and I'm tweeting that at hashtag SAP Radio, and I know that Deloitte SAP is also tweeting there. We'd love to have you join us. Thank you, Dan. Mark Richards, before we launch into a topic here in your notes, I promised you we'd have an opportunity for you to share a little bit about what RBA Consulting does. Tell us. Sure. Um, RBA is um, a technology consulting firm. Um, we started our life primarily in just technology implementation, similar to many other technology firms. Um, but as time has gone on, we are doing actually kind of a, it's a similar changes like finance has changed, the technology side of the business has changed in that where it used to be primarily purchasing from the CIO. Now, um, and Dan can mention this from an SAP perspective too, that the purchasing technology is being purchased by the business lines. And so over the last couple of years, we've made some acquisitions of digital agencies, et cetera. So now we have kind of a full suite of like helping people understand what's the strategy for the technology, how do you actually design it so people use it, and then in the end, how do we create a platform to work off of? So it's been um, we're primarily um, you know, in, uh, the North, we're in North America is where we're based. And so it's a... Great little firm, uh, a mid-sized firm that we work for. Thank you very much. Good to know. And now, Mark, I'm going to dive into some of your notes here. I'm going to combine a couple points, and you can run with them. You say team members who've come up through the accounting team require, here's the key, a new set of skills and approach to be successful in terms of expanding the role beyond just accounting. And then you say, a CFO and their team can create more relevance to the business when they speak the language. Learning to network within the business is a skill that the finance team members can use to their advantage. How do they learn to speak this language? Mark, why don't you run with this, and then we will invite Dan and Eric to chime in as well. Go ahead. Sure. Well, I'll just go through an exercise that I did with my own team. I actually gave them a list of 10 questions. I wanted them to 
and be able to answer. And I gave them the people we wanted to talk to in the business. So I had them go out to meet with our sales team, our account management team, and I gave them specific questions to go understand what they did day to day and then talk about what information they used to manage the business. So first understand what they did and then how they managed it. And the whole point of that exercise for me was to get my team out away from behind their desk into how things worked. I actually had them go through and, you know, most of our accounts go through actually how our sales cycle worked. Had them, you know, if I could get them into it, would have them sit in a sales call so they could hear what customers are saying about our product. Why were they buying it? What was important to them? Um, you know, just as much as I could get them embedded into the operations. And the whole goal behind that was as they understood that we would find things for an example was we would go through opening new offices we often found that our financial practice and would we do a lot of rework and we'd start the process, it would stop and end. And the reason it, it did was because our financial process asked for information well before the field had it or were asking for information that you know they may or may not have access to. So once we realigned our financial processes around opening new offices to how actually the field did their day-to-day task, it was fascinating that we cut down the cycle time by about, you know, over half, and we probably cut down the rework by about 90% of our, you know, getting new offices up and approved and going through the financial approval process. And it was just simply because we understood what, you know, our operations really wanted. So again, for me, the real skill I think here as we move into this technology and it takes away that having to create reports and things like that is moving them from instead of focus so much on compliance per se, but in the how do you provide business information, that's the shift that I think culturally in the skill set that the finance team needs to start developing. And again, but it's not just it's not just numbers for numbers sake, it's numbers mm-hmm. for making the business better. Because in the end, when you think about any financial system that you upgrade, there's really kind of two sales cycles, right? As Eric mentioned, you have to do the compliance. That's the standard piece that the finance piece wants. So you sell the CFO, if you would, on the finance compliance. But then in order to get the, the money for it, you really have to sell the business on what do they get out of this new financial system. Mm-hmm. And that's where as you, the better you understand the business, the more you can explain to them what this new financial system or any upgrades you make will do for them from a business perspective. That's answering the question either what's in it for me or so what, Right. So what? And that's that's really what we're hearing over and over in business is it all boils down to so what? And you have to be able to answer it. You're not getting the money and you're not getting the input or the dedication. Dan Fagan, thoughts on what Mark just shared? Yeah, no, I I agree with Mark 100%. I thought uh, also that, uh, you know, speaking the the language of the businesses is very Mm -hmm. important. And if you think about, you know, getting your arms around the data, right, and making sense of it, not only for the finance organization, but giving it back to as Mark mentioned, to, to the business units, right, so they can make informed but timely decisions as well. I think another way to, to speak the language, let me, let me change the conversation a little bit here, mm-hmm. is to use measurement, right, and metrics. And we're seeing that, you know, leading CFOs now are, are doing exactly that, you know, not only just getting their finance organization in shape with, with measurement of effectiveness and efficiency, but also then taking a whole measurement framework, right, out to the business units. You know, so going to the supply chain and talking about, you know, being able to put a consistent measurement in place to measure, you know, inventory levels or to measure forecast accuracy and inventory write-offs and, uh, and then doing the same thing with the, the HR organization, right, and, and going and looking at HR costs per, per employee or attrition rates, but, but getting everyone 
speaking the language of, of consistent and, and comprehensive measurement right across the, the various business units, whether it be sales or HR, but we've seen that work you know, quite well in, in getting everyone grounded in common language right, of KPIs, and then, of course, it dovetails into operational performance and assessment within each of the lines of business, and then also understanding best practices right, and helping each other uh, with those best practices and how they can potentially impact and drive better performance. So we, we've seen that work quite well, that the, the CFO is, is going out beyond the, the walls of, of what we call it before the, the green light, right? but going on beyond that to, to service the business and put that framework in place from a, from a leadership perspective. Thank you, Dan. Leadership is what it's all about. Eric Merrill, talk to us. Thoughts? Um, we have a lot, of, a lot of new information on the table here. What are your thoughts? Sure. I think building on that last point, I think the cascading of the metrics is absolutely key. I think that's also one of the first critical steps you know, to any organization looking to move forward in this space and, and be more effective um, with how they take advantage and manage with all the, the new information on the table. Uh, I would say also that you know, second to that very quickly is making sure that not only the right processes are in place from a, a planning and forecasting and you know, supporting um, you know, kind of traditional finance function perspective, but also then uh, the capabilities and um, growth opportunities for the people involved in that process. You know, again, kind of closing the loop, going back to what we talked about earlier with taking your traditional, you know, more transactional uh, finance model and extending it to be more of a business partner um, in addition to speaking the language and understanding the metrics and how they cascade from the top all the way down to the, you know, the different field units, whether it's, you know, whatever function, sales, marketing, et cetera, um, is also extremely critical to being able to actually drive that, the value of, um, of those new metrics through the organization, is having the right people and processes to support it. Thank you very much. Mark Richards, you sort of started this thread, so any comments to finish this up so I can move on to something with Dan? Oh, yeah, I think the, the two points that both Eric and Dan mentioned, I think that bring it back to me together becomes as you talk about understanding what the business wants, the, it gets back to this sitting down with them and kind of designing out what, what information do you want and how does it cascade down? So what's the most critical thing that you want to see first? What comes second? What comes third? I mean, I think obviously the details are always important, but maybe that's not to everyone, so you have to really figure out what level of information you want to provide someone so that they can actually take what they want and act. So to your point, it's the so what. Is mm-hmm. How do you focus on the so what first and then allow people to, to figure out what other detail they want from there? So again, I think the, the balancing act is you get to understand the business and is to make sure ultimately what's the, if you would, back to the punchline is you want to provide them information they can act on. And so I think this is where you bring back the the, common, the, the theme of the design of information and and how you what you actually want to deliver to them. Thank you very much, Dan Fagan. Let's see how much time we have left. Oh, we have a world of time. Thirteen minutes till the end of the show, and you know I'm going to save about oh almost two minutes a piece for predictions in the crystal ball segment at the end. We may even call it the lightning round if we have to go fast. Dan, I'm looking at your notes here. Uh, I'm going to read a couple statements and maybe you can tie them together for me. You say benchmarking and KPIs are a great way to set the baseline for a transformational project. And then you talk about good business cases include, rather than me reading a list. Can you tie those together for me and tell us what some of the good business cases might be about? 
Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, uh, and they, they do go hand in hand, so I'm glad you brought them together. Mm-hmm. But uh, what we find is, you know, when, when folks look to why would they benchmark, right? And, you know, why would they participate mm-hmm. in our program or another program? Uh, it, more and more it is becoming because they want to put, you know, ongoing improvement uh, processes in place, right? But in many cases, it, it's event-driven. So, you know, they're acquiring another company or they're being acquired, or unfortunately there's a downturn in the economy, right? And they've got to make sure that all their business units are right-sized. Uh, but also, they may have a transformational type uh, activity going on. They want to upgrade their ERP, for example. Uh, and they've got to put a, a rock-solid business case in place. So the, the first step is the, to put the stake in the ground. Is, all right, where are you today? Right? How do you measure up? What, and, and many times, the organizations really don't know where to start. You know, what should we measure? Where should we start the, with the baseline in place? And, and what cost do you include or exclude? So we'll work with customers to help them do that. Uh, and they'll get a, an internal as well as an external comparison. Uh, and then it's all about, well, how much can we close the gap, right, of our performance to, say, best-in-class or, in many cases, to average, right, if they have opportunity to improve. Uh, so that, that gap closure there can become, then, the benefit side of the business case. Right? So if we look at uh, their finance cost of percentage of revenue, uh, you know, maybe they're, they're quite a bit out of line for their industry, and we're seeing that coming in at, at the overall database level, about 0.86%, uh, finance cost of percentage of revenue, just to give a, a number there. But maybe they're significantly higher than that. Uh, and then they've got to look to what are the merits or the aspects of their transformational activity, whether it be an ERP upgrade or any other activity. You know, what are those best practices that will be enabled to allow them to close the gap, right, to become more efficient, to become more effective? Uh, and then they would estimate that. So a major portion of the business case is how much benefit can we estimate right, uh, across the different value drivers or KPIs that we're measuring uh, and once done, you know, what pain are we going to take care of? So what are the current pain points we have around the finance processes? And, and when will they and how will they be you know, resolved through this, this transformational project? Uh, and then finally, you've got to look at, obviously, the cost side of it as well. Uh, you know, what is this going to cost us? So we look at those major components, and then the, the one we're missing is the, the timing side of it, right? Because the benefit won't be realized immediately. So we've got to look at when are the benefits going to be realized throughout the transformational activity, and tie all those together. So you've got your benefits based on stake in the ground and, and 2B estimates. You've got your pain points, right, that are going to be solved. In many cases, you can add in best practices that are enabled through the, the future state. Uh, and then finally, you have the, the timing and the cost and the results or the ROI. So that's typically what we bundle into a, a business case. But we find that in many cases, organizations don't have that discipline, right? They, they lack that discipline. Uh, so we'll work with them to, to uncover it and, and make a consistent process throughout. Thank you very much. Eric Merrill, thoughts? We have a lot to chew on here. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I think those are, those, that type of tracking and that level of visibility is critical to being able to ensure success. Um, I think it kind of goes back to also helping to have those types of guideposts in place when you encounter the chaos. Uh, I think, you know, as you look at those types of programs, those types of initiatives and efforts absolutely will hit bumps in the road. Um, the less you have kind of buttoned down and clear around how you're going to define success, um, the greater the risk that uh, the project or the effort will go off the rails or won't have mm-hmm. the right guidepost to keep it on track. So I absolutely uh, follow that line of thinking as well. Eric, whose job is it to keep it on track if it goes off the rails? Whose is it? Does that go back all the way up to the C-suite and it gets landed in front of the CFO? What did your team do? Or whose job is it? Well, so I'll tell you, you know, the execution is, is a collective effort typically, but mm-hmm. um, what you really do need is leadership at the highest level to be driving. And, you know, as we talked about all these concepts of cascading metrics and having the right people in place, 
uh, without leadership supporting and putting the right ownership on it, um, you know, making it clear how critical the efforts are to the overall organization, uh, there's, you know, not a high likelihood of success. So you know, those elements to have, you know, that C-level support um, for these large-scale efforts, particularly at larger companies, is, especially when you're dealing with a global footprint, um, require a lot of coordination across um, executive peers and clear ownership and, um, and leadership from that perspective. Thank you. Mark Richards, thoughts, please? Um, I mean, I think my thoughts are life happens as you're a finance, as you get going in these big projects. And so um, I think Dan's point about benchmarking is really critical because, you know, you get the project started and then the business can, keeps on going as you start to do your financial changes and it's, you're just trying to keep up with day-to-day plus make the change and any cultural impact that might have to the finance team. So I think, again, mm-hmm. having a good benchmark of where you started is important because that, I think, ultimately to Dan's point about creating, you know, how have you succeeded or not succeeded, I think is, is critical. And I, in my, having my, in part of my background, <clears throat> I actually um, helped, I was in a marketing role, ironically, even though I was in finance, um, doing cloud financials um, for a couple of years. And I think he, he's exactly right that a lot of companies don't take the time or don't invest up front on the benchmarking and it, mm-hmm. and it hurts them in the long run in terms of really making sure they did well or proving to the point of what the impact is of improving your financial system. Thank you. Dan, you want to wrap this up? And then I have one point I want to pull out of Mark's notes before we move into our predictions quickly. Dan Fagan? Yeah, I think just one thing to add to that is the you know, kind mm-hmm. of the post-implementation or post-change, what we call value realization. Because in many cases, we also see a, you know organization that that has a great business case, right? They put it together, they got funding, board approval, and now they're off and running. The project implements, you know, of course, on time, right, on budget and on value. And the next question, well, who's there watching it to make sure that the value that they predicted or hoped would come out of this transformation is really coming out of it? So we really try to work with our customers to make sure that what we call value realization, right, are you continuing to measure and make sure that those targets are being hit after you got the funding and after, after the changes have been in place? Thank you. Mark Richards, I want to pull a couple of notes out here before we will. We've just got six minutes till the end. Yeah, we're, we're moving quickly. Uh, you say here, I think this is key to wrapping up this conversation, IMHO, a CFO can see they are succeeding in working with the business when they can see the following. I'm just going to rattle off what to me are the top three out of your long list, Mark, if you just comment briefly. When they seek your business opinion, when they see your reports and processes are in line with how the business operates, and when they don't need a finance degree to understand financial management and appreciate the insights you got from the detailed data. Any comments quickly on uh, the value of these to the CFO? Sure. I mean, I used to always joke that the finance people got let out once a month to do the financials and twice in December because <laughs> they also got to go to the holiday party. Um, but the you know the key here is you want <clears throat> if you want to be seen as really a business partner. I mean, you really do have to display and show that you understand the business as well as the CEO. And, you know, again, for my teams and I think of some of the great CFOs that I've worked for, they really um, emphasize that understanding of the business. And because it does, you know, when you just give someone financials but you can't explain why it changed or what, why, mm-hmm. it, you know, why the event occurred, again, then people struggle with, what are you bringing besides the numbers? Then I've got to sort them out. So I think if you see that where people are bringing you into strategy discussions, et cetera, those are the, those are the 
in my mind, the milestones that indicate that you're succeeding as a finance team and being seen not as the accountants, but as you know, providing great financial counsel to the business. Thank you very much. Guess what? Predictions time. Eric Merrill, I know you're ready. I'm going to give you exactly one minute on the clock. Let's fast forward this topic, modernizing your finance organization metrics and benchmarking. We certainly have a lot of interesting comments from you and your co-panelists. Fast forward to I love the year 2020. You know that. But how far in the future? I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Predictions. Eric Merrill, go. I think you're going to see finance more tightly embedded with the business on the theme that we've been talking about. I think you're going to see the level of sophistication of forward-looking predictive analytics and decision support provided by finance going far beyond just uh, the recording of the financials and the transaction side of the financials into true business partnering. And I think there's going to be an evolution of the finance talent model to be able to support the increased depth and insight required out of all this vast data that's only going to proliferate between now and 2020. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. I appreciate that. Let's give a full 60-second predictions to Mark Richards at RBA Consulting. Mark, go ahead. How far in the future? Um, I think five, ten years is where I'm looking at. I just think what you'll see is just an acceleration, in my opinion, of, you know, whether it's a a mobile app or cloud app, it doesn't matter. I think the the lines are being blurred very rapidly between, you know, on-prem and cloud to many degrees because the, the... ability to access information and to combine information, I think that, again, to Eric's point, that talent will have to move to to keep up. But I think the real key for me is I see the technology really accelerating the ability for finance to to make that change, in particular just the ease of access, the, you know, ability to combine information. Those two elements just alone will really make a huge change in terms of just how finance works with the business. Thank you very much. I saved one minute for Dan Fagan at SAP. Dan, please go. Sure. So I think, again, five years out. Um, and what we didn't talk a lot about, unfortunately, during this call is at the, uh, or this segment is that uh, the hyperconnectivity right, of everything, everything being mm-hmm. connected, the cloud, big data, right? I think that's real time, right? Everything's moving to real time and big data and, and hyperconnectivity. So I think that that's really going to change you know, the, the way organizations run and things that were maybe something that they did once a quarter and it was very manual, uh, like a measurement or other activity, will become real-time. So I think that the, the flow or velocity of, of information and, and what folks are doing will become more embedded right, in, in their processes. Uh, so that way it's not a, a one-stop, you know, let me check my performance or let me get with my business units to share a certain bit of information, you know, ad hoc. But I think we'll see we'll see real-time dashboards and cockpits and data proliferating with the role of data scientists, for example, we'll see a lot of this uh, just becoming real-time and ingrained in the process, right, in a real-time manner rather than one off or, or ad hoc process. Thank you. Bonus question for my three panelists, yes or no answer. Data scientists coming into the accounting and finance field in the next five years, will they be millennials? Will they be people with second careers who've been in finance kind of on the outskirts of it for a while and said, wow, this is really getting excited. Uh, exciting. I want to be part of it. So uh, not a yes or no. Who will it be? Who's coming into the ranks coming up in the next five years? Eric Merrill, one sentence answer, please. I think you'll get both. I think you'll get more millennials interested as they see the potential. Thank you. Mark Richards, who's coming in? I agree. I think it's going to be both. I think that the older uh, generation will come in simply because they have the 
experience to um, you know, take the data and utilize it. Thank you. And Dan Fagan, quickly. I would lean towards the millennials. I think they'll be fresh ah. and they'll be aggressive at it. Wonderful. Fresh and aggressive. There you go. There's your chaos built, built right in, coming in the door. Thank you to the three of you. I just want to give a quick promo preview and a prediction of what's coming up tomorrow. Let's see. We'll be back 10 a.m. Eastern with who we got tomorrow. Let's see. It's Tuesday. It must be Belgium. No, it's going to be a digital world with game changers. And we're going to be talking about data privacy and protection in the age of transparency. And then at noon Eastern tomorrow on game changing women on SAP game changers radio, I'll be speaking with two very interesting ladies about the Wonder Woman myth and the modern corporation. And then, of course, we'll be back, a live show on Coffee Break on Wednesday and with the Future of Business on Thursday. What a week. Hope everybody had a safe fourth and you're here and ready to hit the ground running with the work week. Shout out to Chris Grundy, Neil Krefsky, all the good people on the team here who put this show together. Carla Neela Deloitte, you've been wonderful helping bring Deloitte people so many times a week on all of our shows. Michael and the Business Channel team, thanks for getting us on the air. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, thanking Eric Merrill, Mark Richards, and Dan Fagan for being extraordinarily smart and savvy panelists. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO. And join host Bonnie D. Graham next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week. 